Greetings everybody, my name is Simon Gilbo and it's a real treat for me to be with you today. I have been to Purley maybe once and preached there about 15 years ago, but I think it was the church up the road from you guys. Anyways, um, some of you might have come across me, most of you probably not. So if, by means of introduction, uh, I'm speaking to you from Bath right now, but I live for 20, 20 years on and off in Burundi, Central Africa. So that's been my main sort of sphere of, of reference and work. And it was a country that, uh, well, it was the most dangerous country in the world when I first went out there. I expected to die. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. So very, very intense. And obviously living in that kind of environment is going to fill you with a sense of urgency and passion and you're going to make today count. You're not going to waste your time. All sorts of valuable life lessons that apply to us wherever we are, but maybe that you sort of see a bit more clearly. And maybe I saw things a bit more clearly than us in Purley, that we can easily get caught up in the humdrum and the business of life and lose our cutting edge. And, and so today in your sermon series, we've got to Genesis chapter 12 and it's Abram who becomes Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. So he grows into his, his name of Abraham. But in Genesis chapter 12, let me read it and then we'll unpack it. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 says the Lord had said to Abram leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and so Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Right, so that's the scripture, and I want to come out with four things that apply to every single person right now listening to me. So if this is a message for all of you. It's not a message for the few, it's a message for you. And there are four principles from the life of Abraham. And I hope that you want, I've called the type of this, this, this talk the adventure of calling, and I hope you want the adventure of calling. I hope that your highest aspiration isn't simply to arrive safely at death. I mean, that's not a compelling life vision, is it? And yet that's how many people are living. The adventure of calling. Adventure implies adversity and challenge and variety and highs and lows and boredom and, advent and, and excitement. All that comes as part of it. And Abram lived that. And I've lived that in Burundi. And God wants you to live that in Purley or, where, or wherever he, he wants you to, to be. And so the invitation is there. You know, one, one bloke was asked about his experience at church. He said, dutiful but disconnected from my heart. I think many of us would relate to that. There's a great line in Braveheart, isn't there? All men die, few men truly live. And yet, as St. Irenaeus, the second century theologian said, the glory of God is man or woman fully alive. And Jesus said, I've come that you have life and life to the full. And so we want, that's surely what we want to aspire to. Well, if you want to aspire to, I invite you this today to come. C-O-M-E. Four principles from the life of Abraham. First of all, claim God's promises. Claim God's promises. So Abram gets this incredible promise, doesn't he? Verse, verse one, two, three. 
God gives him a sevenfold promise. It says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Whoa, what a great promise. And he claimed that promise. Now, there are loads of promises in the scriptures that we can claim, and, I, and we need to be people who stand on the promises of God. Now, I'm not talking about naming and claiming it or taking verses out of context to justify exactly what what i want to do but you can claim if you're going through financial difficulties right now claim philippians 4 verse 19 my god will meet all your not all your wants all your needs according to his glorious riches in christ everyone's sort of abandoning you letting you down you can claim hebrews 13 verse 5 god says i will never leave you i will never forsake you you're doubting his faithfulness. You can claim 1 Thessalonians 5.24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And so I invite you with Abram, with me, to claim God's promises. So, you know, why did I end up in Burundi? This place where a guy comes to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He writes me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. I drive along a road, 40 people get killed and I get through. Why would you risk your life, Simon? Well, this is my claiming the promise, if you like. I was in a good job on a conveyor belt to success 23, four years ago. I'm 48, so it's 24 years ago. And I was praying, God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And this guy tracked me down in the city in London. I'd never met him before. And he said, I believe God sent me to you. And he wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and mission and evangelism. My heart's thumping in my chest. God, is this you or some nut job? I said, all right, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. I went back to my job. I'm in front of the computer. God, right now, in front of the computer, if that was you and not some nut job, give me a radical sign right now in front of the computer to justify leaving family, friends, security, career, everything. And, 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 and I didn't wait long. That's my prayer. God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And I, I took a phone call and the voice on, on the other end, out of the blue, suddenly said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? <laughs> that was my call. That was my call to Burundi. You can't really argue with that. I mean, you could say I'm lying to you, but you wouldn't live or risk your life. Wouldn't risk in, in due course my wife and three kids for a lie. No, I'm not lying to you. And then you've got to say either that was a coincidence or it was a God incident. And I think we'll agree that was a, a God incident. Now, in verse 7, it says that Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And what he was doing, what I want to encourage us to do, is in a sense to commemorate. God gave, gave him this crazy promise. It was a nutty promise. He's, he was an old wrinkly duffer and his wife was an old wrinkly tooth. You know, they'd pass the age of bearing children. It was a ridiculous promise, but it came to fruition and it had to be claimed. And so as he built an altar to the Lord who'd appeared for him, that was so that when he was traveling that way in the nomadic lifestyle, he'd come across that point and he'd remember the promise of God. However unlikely it looked, he would know that God had spoken. And so if you've got a big enough field around Purley, I think the price of real estate is a bit too high. You probably can't do this, but if you had a massive garden, you could build an altar there. I think more likely what we need to do is we need to journal or we need to celebrate or we need to, yeah, we need to just remember so that when we're going through a tough time, which you will in your faith journey, you just remember that the Lord has spoken. And so when God spoke to me about Burundi, <laughs> marker in the ground, I knew in the years, the two decades that followed that God had shown me his faithfulness. I knew that he'd spoken and I, I'd written it down and I, and I remembered it and I thanked God even when it, was going, when, it, when it was tough because I knew that he was with me in it. So claim God's promises. Secondly, obey, C-O, obey God's commands. Verse four, Abram, so it just says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him. 
He, he moved with God. And as you move with God, he will guide your steps and he will guide your stops. Our job is to keep in step with the Spirit, to not run ahead, but to not lag behind. I think most of us are more in danger, frankly, of lagging behind because he's always saying, come on, keep moving, keep moving. And, uh, you know, you'll, you, someone said you'll learn more from five minutes of obedience than from 10 years of study. I think a lot of us, we've studied and we're very biblically literate, but we're not so biblically obedient. And he's saying, obey. It was Tozer, theologian Tozer, he said, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find out that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it'll move you less and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. Now, does that resonate with you? It resonates with me. I've, I know there are times in my life when I've been disobedient and I've hardened my heart and I've just been taken out. I think particularly of a relationship at university with a girl that she, I mean, she did love Jesus, but I got taken out. I loved her more than God. And we ended up, you know, doing all sorts and uh, sort of let it, letting, letting ourselves down. And, and it was messy. And it, I mean, there's forgiveness and there's grace, but there were consequences to, to that. And I deeply regret. Uh, that part of my life. But I just hardened my heart. I got taken out. And the question is, are we going to obey? Because obedience means submitting to a higher power. It means not being Lord of my own life. But actually, I think often we're saying, um, I'm a follower of Jesus, but actually, Jesus, I'm expecting you to follow me on my terms, at my convenience. He's saying, no, you obey. Will you obey? It's costly to obey. So anyway, C-O. Now the O is obey. You can't just claim the promises of God. I think that's what some of us do. I couldn't just say, thank you, Lord, for that crazy answer to prayer on the phone call. I had to obey. So what did that look, look like for me? And I'm sharing my story so that you're practicing what you preach and, uh, and preaching what you practice sort of thing. So what was my obedience? What does it look like? I had the phone call. I was like, bring it on, Lord. I had a farewell party. I said goodbye to my buddies, packed my bags, and then I got a phone call from my boss who'd recruited me as an evangelist preacher type saying, oh, sorry, Simon, they, I misunderstood. They wanted a secretary for the bishop. I was like, what? So I was being lined up for a completely different job that I didn't want, but it was too late. I'd had the farewell party, so I had to go. So I went out, I started off in the north of Rwanda with my granny learning the language. Rwanda and Burundi used to be on country called Rwanda Rundi. So I started learning Kinyarwanda and now I speak Kurundi. And for those four months, follow this, for my, those four months in in the north of Rwanda with Granny, I'm praying, Lord, please, when I get down to Burundi, please let me work. Scripture Union, it's, it's youth, it's interdenominational. That's what I want to do. I don't want to be secretary for the bishop in the Anglican Church. It's not my, it's not my DNA, if you like, uh, my passion, skill set, and gifting. So that was my prayer in the north of Rwanda. This was 1998. So I had friends in England. First time I ever got an email, they're praying that. In Burundi, they heard this Mzungu, this white guy was coming. They're saying, Lord, please send him to us at Scripture Union. So those prayers going on for several months. Follow this. Second last night in Rwanda, Granny prayed me off. God, we've had enough of Simon. I surrender to you. You make, you do whatever you want to do with him. So I said, see you, Granny. I left. I went to Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, to one guest house for 10 minutes to meet and greet my boss who'd flown down from London in that guest house. At the very same moment, the head of Scripture in Burundi stopped off on a four-day drive to three countries further away. And we looked at each other and went, do, 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 because it was three men from three different countries in transit to two different countries, praying the same agenda, meeting in one guest house in the, city, in the capital city for 10 minutes. Coincidence? No, that was God. It's God that he's passionate about his children. He's saying, who's up for the adventure of calling? Who's up for it? Claim the promise and then obey. You've got to move with God. And it's not always easy, is it? 
And that ties in with the third one, which is mm, which is maintain faith in God's leading. Abram had to maintain faith in God's leading. He had to, chapter 17, has to go off and ref, rescue his ne- nephew Lot. He, he actually lies about the identity of his wife a few times, Sarah, which I really love the Bible, you know, in terms of it. You know, if it was if it was made up, you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of put in the bits where the biblical heroes look really average and rubbish, frankly. But that's that's the reality of biblical heroes. They all screwed up like I screw up. They screwed up like they're fickle. I'm fickle. And we can relate to that, can't we? And then Abram he had to go, you know, all sorts of issues in his life. But, and then chapter 22, he has to lay down the child of promise, Isaac, on the altar. No, God, what's going on? And that is the reality of our messy life. Sometimes you don't know what's happening. You've just got to maintain faith in God's leading. And of course, I've had to maintain faith in God's leading. It's been, it's been a challenging ride. But, you know, having given you some very specific examples of bang on answers to prayer, let me just share with you another chapter. And that was a few years, 10 years after moving to Brittany. We're then going to go to America for a couple of years just to sort of set up our charity in, in the States. And uh, our third child was born. We got the four visas of those who are already uh, out of the womb, we, we got we got um, their visas for America in Burundi from the American embassy, right back in England. Had the third baby when he was born. Those th- sorry, those visas are not allowed, and we're back to the drawing board. We're stuck in England in January at my in-laws' two-bedroom apartment. Seven of us, three kids on the age of four. It's freezing. It's miserable, and and we're stuck. And I'm like, God, what's going on? And. And do you know what? It was it was a it was a difficult time of soul searching. Did we hear you wrong? Things aren't happening. I was used to the Lord opening doors in my radical faith. He was like, "Yeah, I'll honor you for that." And then it was like, "No, there's a block." And it just I just went back to the scriptures and looked at the promises of God and and His Word and looked at plans and Proverbs 16, Proverbs 19. In His plan, in His heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Many of the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. But commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Job 42, no plans of the Lord's can be thwarted. And you know, when I sort of got that message, do you know what? I think God was trying to simply teach me a pretty fundamental lesson. And that was that God is God, and you're not Simon. Now, some of you might have learned that lesson as well. Some of us were behaving like we are, we are God, but that's a good lesson to learn. And you know, when I, once I learned that lesson, I just relaxed and said, Lord, I can't do anything about this. We've got two senators on the case trying to, trying to make this, expedite this. It's not happening, but, but I'm just going to relax. We're just trying to do what pleases you. And, uh, and so, and it became the best year of our marriage because it was out of our hands. And sometimes we worry about stuff we can't possibly do anything about anyway. So there's no point worrying. Maintain faith in God's leading. Now, interestingly, sometimes in tears of frustration, as I was getting to learn that lesson. I came across uh, and would recite a prayer. It's my favorite extra biblical prayer by a guy called Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk. And he said this, why don't you close your eyes? Because this will be for a number of you. He, he prayed this prayer. My God, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. Amen. Now, 
It's not a great prayer because it's so real and you can be real with God. God, I've no idea where I'm going. I don't see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will doesn't mean I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. Brothers and sisters, if you are trying to please God, then he's pleased. If you're giving it your best shot, then he's pleased. If you're not, then yeah, things need to change. But, you know, life is messy, we're broken, there's all sorts of challenges. Sense his favour. He, 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 he loves his kids, he loves us to bits, even when we screw up. Speaking as a parent right now of a son who's just been caught shop, shoplifting and vaping and selling gear at school. That's my kind of issue right now. But I'm saying to my boy, you are, this, this is not you. Uh, you know, and, and, and there's grace. And let's just learn the lessons and let's kick on now, shall we? The father's love is not diminished, is it? He loves you so much. So maintain faith in God's leading. If there's stuff to repent of, do it and let's move on. Time's running out. Claim God's promise, obey God's commands, maintain faith in God's leading. And lastly, E, embrace risks for God's glory. And if we, if we look at the scriptures, it, well, it was risky for Abram. It says at the end of chapter 11 that he was settled in Haran, but he had to move. He had to up sticks with all his family and belongings, loved ones and, and animals and move. And the promise wasn't go to such and such a place. It was leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. But he didn't show him up front. He said, just go and I will show. It's progressive revelation. And we, because most of us are living a sort of, you know, we have a faith, but we're not living by faith. Would you, would you admit to that? I'm, maybe it's no Simon I'm definitely living by faith I think a lot of us have a faith we're not living by faith and let me explain that when I say embrace risk for God's glory I think of uh, Hudson Taylor and he said this unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God there's no need for faith and what he's saying is that if you if me on if we are not taking any risk on any level as we pursue our relationship with Jesus we're not living by faith we're living by sight we're in control we're doing what we want to do so we have a faith, but we're not living by faith. Now, be challenged by what I've just said, if that's for you. If it's not, say, all right, Simon, no, I'm, I'm totally risk-taking. The fact is that most of us are not wired as risk-takers. If I said, put your hand up right now if you're a risk-taker, well, it's a bit weird on the screen, isn't it? But um, the fact is that three to 5% are naturally wired as risk-takers. So most of us aren't naturally wired. And yet a cursory glance at the scripture showed us that to be authentic in our faith, we have to take risks. Sometimes God actually push people, force them to take risks, push them out of the nest, out of their comfort zones. And, and so in just saying only three to 5% of us, that's not to make us feel inadequate. It's just to make us feel realistic about the fact that this is not gonna come naturally and yet I'm called to do this, but you don't do it alone. Do it with someone else. Do it with your family, do it with your life group, do it as the church. Funny, I mean, I, I, I felt God when I was in Burundi challenged me about starting a jogging outreach on Sunday morning. And so like, I, I would see thousands of people on the beach, Lake Tanganyika, a massive sand, sandy beach. I'd see thousands of kids on the beach and they weren't going to church. So, you know, that was my logic. And the Holy Spirit was saying, get out on the beach. And I was like, he nagged me for a number of months. Eventually I said, all right, I'll get out on the beach. And I started this outreach on the beach. Every week we saw people come to Jesus. It was brilliant. It was with an effort doing a you know, 10K run Sunday morning, six o'clock in the morning. I'd get there, I'd get there invariably on my own alone at the start and bricking myself. So that's me being honest with you. I, I was scared, I, I can't. But in there, people, the team eventually came, we did it together. And uh, amidst sweaty bodies being balls being kicked all over us and stuff like that, 
we, we prayed each week for people to receive Jesus. And then as I left, I, I got the, I would stop off at the sort of marijuana den of, of Burundi and sit next to these hopeless, lost losers. I mean, they were lost and they were hopeless. I mean, it was all over them. And I would, I, I would share with them. I had some great vignettes and I got the bonus of a guilt-free passive smoking high. All right, that was a joke. But do you see what I'm saying? We're meant to get out there. We're meant to get out there. I took out people on the streets last week and um, could you do this in Pearly? I went out there and we, in an hour we saw four people pray to receive Jesus. That was uncomfortable. It was, it was a risk. It was stepping out of my comfort zone. But could we do this? Could we somehow reach out to people? You know, people are hungry. On Monday night, I was having a cricket game. I had the chance to lead this Hindu guy. I sat next to a spectator to the Lord. It, it's, you, you, you can do it. You can do it. Don't, be, don't put your light under a bushel. What's it look like for you to, to embrace risk for God's glory? And as I say, we don't do it on our own, we do it together. Let me close with a, a, couple, of, a couple of stories. Um, a guy called Gordon McKenzie uh, did some research in primary schools. He'd go into primary schools, he just had one question, hands up here, who's an artist? And with a four, five, six year olds, it was always 30 kids in the class, always the same response, hands up here, who's an artist? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm an artist. And then you got to the seven-year-olds and a few, few, a few less, eight-year-olds, less, less. By the time you got to 11-year-olds, you know, maybe the onset of imminence of puberty, or whatever, and peer pressure, uh, hands up here as an artist. And so two reticent hands would go up slowly. Yeah, I'm an artist. And you know, the conclusion to his research was that everything in our world and society is sucking us into a mold of rigid conformity. And conformity is not maturity. And all of us, I know I was, and I suppose the proviso in my saying this is that if you had loving parents, which is not everyone's case, and a stable environment. But you know, if you asked me at four, five, six years old, Simon, are you an artist? I'd like, yeah, I'm a chatting genius, I'm Rembrandt. I can, because I'd been believed in. And then six, seven, eight year olds slowly, I got crushed. And that's probably your story as well. And listen, Two things to say out of that. The first thing is that, well, no, well, if I, if I think of my kids now, I think of my kids, uh, and uh, I don't think we've got a particularly artistic sort of gene pool, uh, but, you know, they, they, they all, uh, I mean, they're now 15, 13, 11, but, you know, there's a five-year-old over us, he's like, draw us a picture, and he'd go, and he'd butcher this piece of paper, and it looked objectively rubbish. And, and yet, me as his dad, I would hang it on the wall, pride of place, that's my boy. You know, God, with our lives, if it's the best we've got, if you're trying to please him, referring to earlier, then he's pleased. And, 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 and so, you know, if it's the best you've got, he's pleased. Some of us, we might be looking at our piece of paper in terms of the, the, the artwork of our lives and think, I have ballsed up, I've, I've missed the lines, I've got the colour scheme wrong. But if it's the best you've got, he's pleased. The second thing on that one is that if it's not the best you got, and if you want to, he can go on with me. He can give you a fresh piece of paper and say, "What? Let's do this together. Let's draw a new picture together. I'll guide you, and let's make something beautiful." And that's the fresh start that some of us need. And so you can have that. Do you want that? You can have that this morning. Jesus on the cross died in your place to take your mess on Him, so that you can have that fresh piece of paper, a fresh start. And that is what he's offering to each one of us. There is always hope. There's always grace. 
but God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Are you proud? Or are you humble today? Time's up. I've even overshot. Sorry about that. It was Oswald Chambers who said this. If you will abandon everything and come to Jesus when he says come, then he will continue to say come through you and you will go out into the world reproducing the echo of Christ's come. Have you come now? Have you come yet? Do you want to come now? Claim God's promises. Obey God's commands. Maintain faith in God's leading and embrace risks for God's glory. Please come. Please come. And I'd love you to be in touch with us. I'd love you to pray for our work. So on the screen now, it will come up. Please click on that, we'll get that QR code and uh, that will take us to the, take you to the website. You can sign up and that's, that's why my guys are still alive. I'm literally still alive, I believe, because of the prayers of the saints. So please, please get behind our work. I also do a weekly podcast, which is very, very genuine inspiring. It's with incredible people in different fields. So there's a QR code and the address on that again, if you want to uh, sign up for that. I'd love to keep in touch. And I wish you all God's blessing. Come, claim God's promises, obey God's commands, maintain faith in God's leading, embrace risks for God's glory. Let me pray for you now. Father God, thank you for everyone listening. And I pray that they would choose to come. Thank you for your invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. So bless my brothers and sisters right now in Jesus' name. Amen.